If you've heard of the purpose-driven life today, I'm talking about the value-driven life. Values are really, really important because every decision that we make and every behavior that we act out on is based on a value. Sometimes we're not proud of the value that's exposed as a result of our behavior, but there's a value underneath it nonetheless. I know we've all had moments where we've done something and we're like, that's not who I am. Well, yeah, it is. We're just embarrassed by who I am, right? You get in that fight, that ridiculous fight, and you're like, that's not who I am. I'm sorry, I blew my, blew my lid. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. That's not who I am. Well, yeah, it is. And in that moment, your greatest value was being right. It, your greatest value at that moment wasn't being humbled and we're, in, we're a little embarrassed by that value or that it creeped out. One of the things I love about the gospel is that it confesses that God doesn't, he's not embarrassed or surprised by the things that we're surprised by. And that's a huge relief to me. I don't have to hide that from God. You know, as much as sometimes, you know, we try, like I don't want them to know that, you know, every once in a while a cuss word slips out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Who is this guy? But God knows the condition of my heart and he's more concerned with that. It's not God knows my heart and so I'm okay. You're like, he knows. You with me? You guys sleepy? Are you convicted? Is that what's going on? It's like, he knows my heart so I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. (laughs) He knows my heart and that's why his son Jesus Christ came to die on my behalf so that I could be forgiven for the condition of my heart, so that I can experience the fullness of life and purpose and mission that I have in him. Amen? Amen. So that Christ can live through me, even though sometimes you just want to cuss. (laughs) Our values are shaped by our belief. Okay, so what we believe shapes our values and what we value shapes our behavior. And, and uh, the thing that we believe that shapes all of our values as a mission and as a ministry, as a congregation, as a people, is the gospel. We have to believe the gospel the most. More than anything else, more than I believe how I feel about something, more than I believe how much I want something, how much I like something, how I feel about myself, I have to believe the gospel more than any of those other things. So what is the gospel? The gospel is this, that we are sinful. Even the sins that we are comfortable with, even the sins that we like, even the sins that we justify, separate us from God. The result of that separation from God is death. That's, not the, that's the bad part of the gospel. The good news is that Jesus sees us in our humble, broken, sinful state and stepped out of eternity and came to break through sin and death on our behalf. He never sinned. He deserves no punishment, but love compelled him to take on the full punishment that you deserve that I deserve. Because he never sinned, there was no separation between him and the Father. So death had no power over him. And he rose from the dead three days later. Because he died in our place, he took the penalty that we deserved. He arose from the dead and defeated sin and now death. We can receive his forgiveness and choose to walk in the light of his life. Instead of, our own, instead of the darkness of our own passions and desires. That statement sounds like this. I joyfully turn from living the way that I want to live it 
and I commit my way and my purpose, my life, my path to you. And that it, this is the last point that I have written down here, that I belong to God, you belong to God, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what God has done on our behalf. And then I have this prayer, help me to walk closely with you, God, today, that I may enjoy the fullness of life and the pleasures of your presence. Amen. It's not by living a perfect life, though, when we understand the work that the gospel has done and when we understand how far God has come to redeem us and to give us life and to give us purpose and to make us whole, something in our soul ought to strive to be pleasing to him also. You know, I don't, I don't work to, love, to earn my wife's love. My wife loves me, so I work to, give, to please her because the love is already there. Right? And I don't want to paint a false picture. It's not like it's like, oh, hey, honey. I just came home from work and I'm exhausted, but I'm going to do everything I can to serve you perfectly today. I just want to make sure. My wife and I were talking. She's like, you know, David, you challenge him to like unload the dishwasher and the equal, the equal job. Like, you know, you work hard to love me. She's like, I don't want people to think that like you do it perfectly. <laughs> and so I just... You know, without her in the room today, she's home with our sick kids. She's taking one for the team. But uh, yeah, I don't do it perfectly. And, and so I just, just to, like set expectations for other wives, <laughs> right? And for other men, I just, men strive to please your wives. Wives, encourage him along, Amen. right? And don't expect perfection. And he might not either, right? I'm not going the other way, guys. You understand why I'm not, yeah, thank you. All right, gentlemen. But we ought to strive to be pleasing to him. The love is already there. Everything else is is to honor the sacrifice that he made and to draw close to him and experience the fullness of him. The closer we get to him, the more we get to enjoy his presence and the more we get to enjoy the benefits of, of the life that he has for us, the more we become alive. We're most alive when we're, when we're living a life that's pleasing to him. And we're free from the shame and guilt. Romans 14, it's a, it's a contentious passage because it talks about the weaker person and the stronger person and don't do something that compromises the faith of somebody else because, because it'll, it'll cause them to sin by doing things that they shouldn't do. But the, the, the idea is that, that love ought to compel us to live in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called for and we ought to encourage one another into that. And so let's keep going because we've got five points that we're going to hit today. That's a lot. But it's by trusting Jesus. We believe that he redeemed us. We believe and trust that Jesus did what he said he would do, that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he would do. And it's by that faith that we are saved. This is our primary and paramount belief that derives from which we derive our values. All of, these val- all of these following values, there are five of them. It's lordship, evangelism, discipleship, and I'm going to say them again so you don't have to rush, leadership development, and family. These all stem from the gospel. They don't exist on their own, and I wish I had understood that in college when I first heard about these five values. I didn't understand the gospel very well, so what I did is I took those five values and I understood them to be a recipe for salvation. Mm. 
And I thought, if I do these five things perfectly, if I can do them well enough, God will accept me. Instead of letting the acceptance of God fuel me to, to let these expressions and to let these values come from me. You with me? So let's hear these correctly today. The first is lordship. And from, for lordship, we're going to look at one of the most terrifying passages of scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus will declare to these people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. To call Jesus Lord, Lord is, to, is, is correct. To recognize him as sovereign, to recognize him as king and ruler of everything is correct. So what did they do wrong? That they stood before him and he's like, I didn't even know you. They called him by the right name. They knew what to call him. They knew how to holler at him. They knew how to work in and they knew how to act in a worship service. Not only did they know how to act in a worship service, it's like the me's that he didn't know. You know, it's like the super Christians. Ah, I see that. I made a mistake. I'm not a super Christian. I'm just a Christian. But it's those who have prophesied and done miracles and done mighty things in the name of Jesus. These are the ones that are going to stand before him and he's going to say, I didn't even know you. He was willing to use them and, and I think that he's willing to use anybody. He used a donkey in scripture, right? A donkey spoke. In scripture, he'll use anything. He'll use anybody who's willing. So what did they do wrong? It's the one who does the will of my father in heaven. The Christian life isn't one of doing enough good things to outdo the bad things that I've done. The Christian life is striving to live a life that's pleasing to God who sacrificed everything so that you could live in the fullness of life. So to call him Lord is correct. In fact, it's a, it's a function of his lordship that allows him to save us. I would love to save you from your sins. The only problem is I don't have that authority. And I've got my own sins Jesus didn't have his own sins and he had authority. I would love, it's like, I would love to give you a million dollars. But I'd be writing bad checks because I don't have a million dollars to give. You with me? We'd love to do a thing, but if we don't have the resources, we're impotent to do the thing. If we don't have authority, if we don't have lordship, we can't do it. So Jesus, not only did he live the sinless life, but he had the authority as the king of kings. To declare the forgiveness of our sins. God is clearly not just looking for someone who can answer the question correctly, but he's seeking after the one who's living a life that is in proper response to, the, to, to what's being said. So he's looking for the person who will call him Lord, Lord, and live with him as Lord, Lord. You with me? 
I know it's convicting and it's challenging. And it's like, so you mean I'm supposed to do what God's telling me to do? Yes. That's how this whole thing works. I know that this stands as an affront. Sometimes we're, you know, it's like the grace of God and it's confusing, isn't it? It's like the grace of God and it's by faith through grace. So by faith, we're justified. By faith, we're saved. That's all it takes. Yes, that's true. But now we, because of the gospel, we have the ability and the freedom to serve him as our Lord. Before I was saved, it was impossible for me to live a life that was pleasing to him. But now that I'm saved, by the power of God in, in my spirit, I have the freedom to obey him. You with me a little bit? This is a really important distinction to make, or the other ones don't make much sense at all. So because you are saved, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've received his forgiveness, the Holy Spirit that indwells you at that moment empowers you to live a life of obedience that is pleasing to him and to do the things that he desires for us to do, right? It fuels our obedience. If you have the right answer, but you're not doing the business, it's like having a friend that's not there in a time of trouble. What is, what is a friend that's not there in the time of trouble? It's not a friend. What is a brother who's not there in a time of trouble? Well, it's not a brother. What is a Christian who acknowledges God as Lord, but doesn't live with God as Lord? Not a Christian. If he has the authority to create the universe, if he has the authority to die in our place and forgive our sins, certainly he has the authority to tell us to forgive our neighbor. Now, lordship doesn't get weird. It's not like, should I go to McDonald's or Wendy's today, and if I go to the wrong one, I'm in sin. You're probably in sin for both of them. (laughs) We don't have to get weird about this. But what he expects us to do is made very, very plain for us in Scripture. What's, what he expects us to do, he makes very, very plain to us by our conscience. And God will lead me in this lordship relationship that I have with him towards certain convictions that I, am, I have to be faithful to be obedient to. And J.C. may very well have different convictions. You know, J.C. might say, you know, hey, God's called me to, to give up chicken wings and I'd be like man I'm really sorry I'm a brother so I'll be here to pray with you and I won't eat them in front of you because I'm not going to stumble you but I'm going to eat them on my own (laughs) I'm not going to respond and say well God didn't tell me that I'm just going to be like man good for you be obedient and I'm going to go find other friends I can eat chicken wings with me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but seriously. Had them last night. That whole thing about be healthier a year, you know, a year from now than you are today, that's still true. I'm eating less chicken wings than I ate last year. It's just more than JC's none. Our second value is evangelism. Let all the house of Israel, in Acts 2.36, let, let all the house of Israel uh, therefore know 
for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. So Peter stands up in front of the crowd of people that killed Jesus. And they think they've done something great. They think they've killed a heretic. They think they've killed a blasphemer. They think they've killed a man who claimed to be God and they dealt proper justice. And he stands up and he's like, hey, really bad news and really great news. The really bad news is that that Jesus who you killed, he wasn't actually a heretic. You killed God. (laughs) He is Lord and Christ. The the words for Lord and Christ are uh, kurios is Lord. It means absolute ownership rights. And Christ, Christos, which means anointed one. He is the anointed one of God that's been promised since Genesis. All throughout the generations, all throughout the years, all throughout the kings, all throughout the promise. The anointed one has come and he has full ownership rights and you killed him. That's the bad news. The good news is that if you repent, he'll forgive you of your sins. Isn't that remarkable? And so he says, let everybody know that this man who you crucified is both Lord and Christ. Not many people have a problem admitting today that Jesus was a good man, that he was a moral teacher, that he lived a good life. Any serious historian and any serious scholarship has no issue with the fact that Jesus lived. So if you see articles about, was it Jesus historical? Yes, he is. And it's just, you know, anybody will say anything for blog hits. And there are a whole bunch of people saying the world is flat right now. Okay, so that's kind of the equivalent, right? It's like there's, there's an abundance of evidence. And there's, a, you know, that, that Jesus lived and that he was killed and that he rose from the dead, historically speaking, okay? And we also have evidence that the world is round, in case you were worried. (laughs) Not round, but, yeah, round, not circle, round. (laughs) Sorry. Geography. (laughs) But they do have a hard time accepting or understanding that he was more than that. It's hard to accept or hard to admit that he's more than a moral teacher or a great guy or an inspirational figure or came to bring this revolution of love. Like, we all like that idea, this revolution of love. I did go to Disneyland with my family. And you might be divided in your heart, like, sinner. But... um. We were going in the small world after all, and I was like, wow, this guy imagines a world of peace without Jesus. And I'm not knocking Walt Disney. I went, right? It was good. But you're like, on the, it's a small world. They're singing it, and you go through all the nations, and then you get to the end, and everybody's holding hands and singing. And it's like, but without Christ, that's not even possible. Because we will always be at odds with one another. We imagine that everybody wants to wear these white shirts and these play their own instruments together and that everybody's going to agree on that. I can't agree with my family what to eat for dinner. Christ is the one that makes that possible. It's the only place where it will be. Um, we're still talking about evangelism, right? Good. 
we have a responsibility to spread the news that love compelled Jesus to make a way for us to have the most healthy, most fulfilling, and most satisfying life that exists. I didn't say easy. Even in the hardest of times, the grace of God can become evident and be real and even make difficult times not easy, but peaceful. Because the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is our helper and he draws near to us to strengthen us and encourage us and inspire us toward righteousness. Of course, we can't effectively evangelize if we don't actually believe it. My daughter was talking to me and she said, Daddy, why isn't, an, why isn't it enough to tell someone that Jesus loves them? Why can't they just love him back? And she's like, you love me, so I love you. Jesus loves me, so I love him. Why can't you just get up and say Jesus loves you and have people love him back? And I was like, wow. God help me. What I started to understand is that I think the problem is that we don't really believe that he loves us. I think a lot of our problems stem from the fact that we don't actually believe that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves you. We don't actually believe that the boundaries that we feel from God when he limits us from something or holds something back from us is actually an expression of his love and his mercy and his graciousness towards us. We think that he's holding something back because of something other than love. Maybe he's a vindictive God or a hateful God or a spiteful God and he's keeping these things away from me or he took that away from me or he won't let me have this and he won't let me experience this. No, no, no. All of that is of love. And so before we can evangelize well, we need to believe that God, in fact, loves me. Can you say it just, God loves me? Thank you, JC. I meant like really say it together like a charismatic church would. God loves me. Oh, well, let's try it. Hold on, hold on. I'm messing it all up. All right. God loves me. And if you say God loves you, you're in trouble. Somebody, <laughs> I thought I heard it. God loves me. And he's demonstrated that love to me by giving his life for me so that I could experience eternal life. And Christ can live in me and through me. And the same is true for you. And with that news, we go out and tell the world what Jesus has done for us. You see the difference? It, evangelism then isn't a right and wrong thing. It's not an argument over, over certain things. It's like, no, no, no. He, he loves you and he's expressed his love to you in this way and he desires to continue to express his love to you as you draw close to him and as you learn about him and as you allow him to guide you and direct you and teach you and train you and prune you and cut stuff off of you and clean you up. JC said, hmm. Because we both know that hurts. The gospel found in evangelism 
is that God loves us so much that he himself brought us this message. And in evangelizing, we get to do the same and share in his work of bringing the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy to our neighbors and to our family, to our children, to our friends, to our workplace. Yes, even there. Third value is discipleship. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them because they're under lordship, right? He directed them to a place. They obeyed, they went, and they got to see something extraordinary. And when they went, when they had saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Notice he doesn't just kick them around because there was doubt. He knew there was doubt, and this is how he deals with it. He answers the question without being asked. He says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Discipleship received allows us to learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that Christ has called us to. It trains us and prunes us and instructs us how to take on the values of Jesus Christ, how to submit our lives to Scripture, how to surrender to the Holy Spirit, how to respond to conviction. What do you do when you feel guilty about that sin? How do you, how do, you do it? Do you just jump headlong into the sin or do you, do you figure out how to repent and to turn from it? You with me? Discipleship allows us to to learn how to walk with Jesus over time and to obey everything that he's commanded us to do. So as I have learned how to obey Christ, now I can turn and teach others to obey Christ. It's come follow me, find Jesus through me. Don't be like me. Be like you following Jesus through me. You with me? And then as you do so, you're going to turn and you're also going to help others learn to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he's called us to in Jesus. Discipleship is not about a program. It's not about a meeting structure. It's about the condition of your heart. I I was talking to Pastor Jim and we wrestle a lot as as a church, both between all locations, but then even churches today are so confused and they're like, how do we, not in a bad way, they're asking, we are asking good questions. How can we disciple people? And there's, the simple answer is life on life and relationship, right? Discipleship is spelled also relationship. But it's like, what classes can we set up to make disciples? What program can we create to make disciples? What thing can we start or fund or create to, to make disciples? But really, when you give your life to Christ, it's, it's on you to be a disciple. If you type discipled into Word, it, it'll tell you it's not a word. I can't, you can't be discipled, but you can be a disciple. You with me? Jermaine, I'm just going to use him. I can't disciple Jermaine. I can tell him all the things that I think he needs to know. 
I can lead them to scriptures. I can tell them how to read scripture. I can tell them to surrender to scripture. I can teach him how to pray. I can show him how to lead people. I can encourage him in his marriage. I can encourage him in his parenting. But all of that is for not if he's not does not have the heart orientation of being a disciple. I read an article recently. It said how to listen to a sermon when, or how to grow from a sermon when John Piper is not your pastor. Do you know who John Piper is? Just think T.D. Jakes, right? He's the T.D. Jakes of Reformed theology. And so how do you grow when T.D. Jakes or John Piper is, or Brett Fuller is not your pastor? And he said, a mature Christian should be able to, to glean from the most immature presentation. You know, we think that as we grow in maturity, that somehow we need deeper and deeper and deeper things. But there's no deeper thing than the gospel. There's no deeper thing than the revelation that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that the world is hopelessly sick and desperately lost and needs the gospel. If you want something deeper, it's going to be in you taking somebody else through it. Not just coming and eating all the time. I'm just talking to JC and Rosa, that's all. Um, that said, I try and grow. I'm not trying to stay shallow. We're trying to go deep together in our understanding and our revelation of the gospel and what it looks like to walk it out. But in discipleship, the goal is to become like Christ as we take on his values, lifestyle, and purposes. I have this question for you just to reflect in your own time. Just do your, do your values and purposes reflect more of Steve Harvey or Oprah or some politician or Jesus? And sometimes it's like I take on the values of, in my life I've taken on the values at different times of Pastor Brett Fuller. But it was one degree away from the value of Christ that God wanted me to have. And so I was like looking at the menu instead of eating the meat. Uh, the the uh, fourth value of leadership development. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's saying, Timothy, this is worth sharing. But you've got to train the right people. Share with everyone. But train people who can teach people. Practically speaking, in my own life, I'm a beneficiary of my parents. Pastor Duke and Kathy, Pastor Brett and Cynthia, Keith and Joe Temple, JC and Rosa Sherrod, Roy and Gail, uh, Roy and Gail Watson, Ernie and Sandy Leonard, and many more people who were faithful to receive the word of God because they're disciples and they've been faithful to teach me the word of God also because they're disciples. That word dwells, that word dwells richly in their hearts and they've taught it to me, but wouldn't it be a tragedy if I just kept it to myself? It'd be the same tragedy if you kept it to yourself. 
no greater because I'm a pastor. Because you live around and are, live with and go to work with and school with people who I'm irrelevant to. And God has placed you in a position and a context where if you're faithful to teach others what has been taught to you, the kingdom will be advanced in remarkable ways that I can only cheer you on and, and, and celebrate with you and envy in a small way. Instruction received lets us understand how to live. Instruction given lets us help others know how to lead or how to live. In terms of leadership development, among the original instructions to Adam and Eve were to take dominion of the earth. The word dominion means to reign over. They were to lead it. They were to reign over. They were to righteously take dominion and advance the purpose of God all over the whole earth. That mandate was corrupted by sin and selfishness and greed and lust. It's been corrupted and destroyed. Now we see pride rising up and we see people promoting their own kingdoms and their their own purposes and their own desires and their own lustful wishes, right? But in the gospel, through the gospel, we pick up that mandate and we are to lead out of, reign out of, rule out of love. I know out of context that sounds weird and so we need to righteously understand that the purposes of God didn't change from Genesis to now. He's interested in his fame being known throughout the whole earth. He's interested in his kingdom advancing throughout the whole earth. That righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit would exist over the whole earth. That's why we're interested in being in every nation. That's why we're interested in having churches and campus ministries at the top 100 most influential campuses in the United States so that we can influence our country and so that we can grab hold of young people while they're full of time and ambition and creativity and say, this is the truth about who you are and why you're here and God's plan for you. And this is what life can look like. This is why it's so important that we invite our neighbors into our small groups and we invite our neighbors over for dinner and let them taste of the kingdom of heaven in your home, even if your home is messy with toys, writing on the walls. You know, sometimes I'm like, let's not paint our walls and just let the writing stay there. And so people can come over and just know that, you know what, life's messy. I say sometimes, I'm like all the time, let's not paint the walls. (laughs) We don't lead out of selfish ambition or greed, but we lead out of love and compassion that was shown us, taught us, instructed to us in Christ Jesus. And family, Ephesians 3, 14, 14 and 15. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Family is God's idea. It's not our own. It's his design. And he built it to be a vessel and the primary source of his love and his purposes on the earth. A man and a woman would be joined together in marriage and have children and raise them up in the ways of God. And those children would eventually be married have children and raise them up in the ways of God. 
and that would continue and God's purposes and his likeness would be taken throughout the whole earth because we're made in his image. And so as different as we are, his values and his purposes would be expressed in all of us in unity, but in, in, in a diverse way, right? So for you to express the kingdom of God is going to look a little bit different for me to express the kingdom of God. And in that, we get this beautiful mosaic that God is painting in us and through us. It's good that we have different interests. Life would be bland, without Peruvian chicken <laughs> and fried yuca. And I promise you, there's no fried yuca in my family's history. Have you ever had fried yuca? I'm saying, worship. It's like, it's like getting saved in your mouth. Delicioso. Come on. God and out of his wisdom and love for us, he didn't save us, wipe our sins clean and give us new life and leave us by ourselves. But he adds us to family. He places us with other people so that we can do life together and experience the goodness and the freshness of God with one another. And it's not all like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Sometimes it's like, I don't like this song. But they do, that's awesome. Awesome, I overuse the word awesome. It's great. No, it is awesome. You know what? It's awesome. <laughs> you know what? We can celebrate to a Fred Hammond song and then go to a Hillsong song. Right? What else do we do? Israel Houghton. And then we go to do Elevation Worship, right? We can, we, and that's beautiful. And it's, I know it's frustrating. You're like, that's not what we did in my church growing up. <laughs> that's not what we did in my church either. Thinking about the first really multi-ethnic worship service I was in. And I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> Do I need to? So two, two experiences stand out in my mind where God really just burst my bubble and showed me something different. The first, I was young, and I don't understand it. It's before Pastor Duke's church joined with Grace Covenant Church. So we were faith community. Maybe we were Beltway Covenant at the time. And we were in a hotel, and we did a joint thing with another church. And I know I was sitting on the left side, and I know there were some women who were African-American who weren't light-footed in the front row, jumping up and down, screaming, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I was like, all right. That's how other people do this. It was a neat experience. It was good for me. I'm so thankful that Pastor Duke, if you don't know, he's, he's an, an older white guy from Kansas City, Kansas or something, right? And so I'm so thankful that he had the wisdom to sacrifice his comfort so that we could experience something of the kingdom together. It was beautiful. Second time. No, and so I grew up, and then, you know, we joined Grace Covenant. I was young, so I'm like, this is normal. If you look around, like, look at, go ahead and look around. Like, this is what's normal to me. This is what's right to me. Anything other than this feels weird. Due to a weird confluence of things, uh, right out of college, Pastor Brett was like, hey, I need you to think about going to this other church and being their youth pastor. And um, I was like, I don't like that idea. But my pastor is telling me to go to another church, so you're like, uh, okay. So I went to this other church, and, and I went, and it was like so white, and I was so uncomfortable. 
and I didn't know if I should put my hands up or keep my hands down. I wanted to clap. I think I was the only one clap. It was awkward. It was hard. And I was just confused. And I'm like, why did Pastor Brett send me here? What is he saying about me? What does this even mean? Who am I? Why don't I feel comfortable? And I didn't, yeah, so I didn't do that. I came back and said, Pastor Brett, it's not for me. He goes, yeah, I knew. You're talking about being tested, JC. That was some weird test. The third te- and the other story I was going to share is, is just I, I went to, I invited, I had a Bible club in high school at Potomac Falls and, and we called it Bible club because I'm not very creative. <laughs> what do we call it? Let's call it something awesome, like Bible club. People come and read the Bible. So we had a whole bunch of people coming out and I was like, this doesn't look right. It's all white people. I can't do this. So I was like, I'm going to build a multi-ethnic Bible club. And, uh, you know, I'm a Grace Covenant. It needs to look like Grace Covenant. Let's do this thing. So I went after people who didn't look like me. I was like, come on. Every week, no. Every, come on, no. Come on, no. Come on, no. And then finally there's one girl. She's like, all right, I'll come. And she came and she just sat like this the whole time. She was like, that was weird. She's like, now you got to come to my church. And I was like, all right. So I show up and it was, it was an all black church and I got there late. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. If their church wasn't like the size of this stage packed with chairs and then plus, plus the stage area. So everything's facing that way. And then they had like three seats positioned, uh, what's perpendicular to the rest of the seats right underneath the altar like this. And I went and we sang Holy Ghost for 20 minutes. <laughs> and everybody welcomed the new guest. <laughs> like, we've got a guest today. <laughs> and I looked up and that's when I realized I was the only white guy. <laughs> and I was like, how'd they know? <laughs> oh. Hey, neighbors. I'm glad for that awkwardness. And I hope my awkwardness doesn't make you too awkward. But this is how we grow together. And I figure if I don't say something a little awkward about what color we are and how we worship every once in a while, uh, we'll either grow unhealthy and it'll be the worst kept secret in our church or we actually won't reach out to people who aren't like us and be comfortable with it. I'm in the habit of inviting people who don't look like me to church and I'm like, it doesn't look like me. Don't worry. Right? People, a white guy invites you to church. What are you expecting? A white guy that's dressed like this. <laughs> invites you to church. What are you expecting when you show up, right? If you being honestly, what? You're expecting a white church. Not out of insecurity, right? You got to be secure before you say something like that, or it'll just bleed with awkwardness. And um, yeah, it's like, they don't, they don't look like me. Wow, that doesn't sound racist. <laughs> Sorry. Gosh. I do better when I stick to my notes. We have an offering to receive, y'all. Sean's like, I can't believe this. You went to A&T and you're wearing Mason colors, man. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. 
Way to take it for the team. We call that deflecting. Uh, because we believe in value, uh, family, we believe and we value marriage, we value the next generation, we value babies. Our family is comprised of those who have lived for Christ, they've lived for God, and they're in heaven. Those who are currently living for God all over the globe. The family of God, we've got family being persecuted in the Middle East right now. That's why we're supposed to pray for them. We've got family who's suffering. We've got family that's experiencing the sweetness and the pleasure of God's blessing. We've got family from every walk of life. Our family also includes those who will live for him, which is why we take discipleship so seriously. It's why we take evangelism so seriously. It's why we take our youth group so seriously and kids' ministry so seriously. It's not an exhaustive list of our values. We value many other things. Service, forgiveness, worship, diversity, reconciliation, the local church, generational transfer. We value life, emotional, physical, spiritual, born, unborn. We value excellence and social responsibility, generosity, character, and integrity, which is really just an outworking of lordship. There are more and more, and you're going to have additional expressions of the value of the gospel through your own life that we need in this house to be expressed. The five values highlighted today are guardrails and mile markers that we use as a ministry to make sure that we're just staying true to what we believe the gospel should produce in us.